You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, friends. Uh, It's so good to see you. Um, Those of you who are online, welcome. I'm glad you're with us. And those of you who are here, um, it's, it really, really is just so wonderful to be back with people again um, in these services of worship. Um, our, 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 today, we're starting a new sermon series that we're going to be in um, throughout Eastertide uh, and then on into Pentecost. Um, and the name of the series is Power in Weakness, Power in Weakness. And it's a study on the book of 2 Corinthians. So um, that's where we're going we're to park for a while this spring, um, so maybe get to know this book a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit about this book. Um, Paul had a long and complicated relationship with his friends in Corinth. Um, He had planted the church. You can read that story in Acts chapter 18. He started it, and he was there for a while, and then he moved on. And later, he got a report that things were not going well there at all, and even some really um, not so holy stuff was happening in the church of Corinth. And so he wrote them a letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. Apparently, uh, things didn't go well in their receipt of that letter. They didn't like it very much. They didn't like what Paul had to say very much. They rebelled and pushed back against his authority. And so apparently then Paul made another visit to them that he calls in this letter his painful visit. His painful visit also didn't go very well. And so now Paul is writing them this letter that we'd have as 2 Corinthians to assure them of his love, his commitment, and his faithfulness to them as his friends and his brothers and sisters. This letter is probably the most passionate uh, and, and actually probably the most personal of all of Paul's letters because he is often talking about the way they perceive him in his ministry. The Corinthians actually distrusted Paul a great deal because he was so unlike the kind of leader that they were used to celebrating in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a large, beautiful, cosmopolitan city, only like second to to, to Rome. It would be almost like Chicago as compared to New York today. Um, People valued success and wealth and power and status there. The leaders that were celebrated were strong and impressive and good-looking and powerful, And Paul was nothing like any of those things. He was uninspiring. He was ugly. He was weak. Uh, He didn't seem impressive at all compared to the Corinthian standards. And so they despised him. But Paul, in this letter, declares that that very weakness is what qualifies the Christian leader. Because in weakness, we experience the power of God working in and through us. And the reason for that is what this whole letter is about. The reason for that is because of the gospel, the paradox that we just celebrated at Easter, that in the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God is revealed. Christ saved us, not in spite of his weakness, but in and through his weakness not despite his loss of power, but in his loss of power. God's power 
is made known to his people. And so now Paul argues this same dynamic of power and weakness is the key dynamic of the Christian life. His power is made known in and through us. So in the season of Eastertide that we're in for 50 days, we celebrate Easter for 50 days, we are celebrating the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and we want to go deep into this pattern of death and resurrection. Listen, listen. Here's, here's a way to put it. If what we celebrated two weeks ago is really true, if it really is true that God saved the universe through the death of a condemned criminal, if that's really true, then Easter is not just like this nice little religious tradition where we put on our nice clothes and celebrate the coming of spring. If what we celebrated two weeks ago is really true, then it has given us the secret to life. A new way to live. And that is that in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our weakness, God's power is made known in and through us. That's a new way to live. So we're going to go deep into that new way over, over the next little bit of weeks, okay? So, so our scripture reading this morning um, come from the first 11 verses of the book is Katie Thomas. So let's hear God's word read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to invite you to do something right now that you probably don't want to do. And it's okay if you just don't do it. You can just say no. But I want you to think right now of one of the hardest things that you've ever had to go through. Got it in your mind? Thinking about one of the hardest things you've ever had to go through? Now my guess is this may be not true for all of us, especially if you're going through it right now. And my guess is that for many of us, two things are true. First of all, in that really, really hard time, you experienced a taste of God's comfort and peace and love for you 
in a way that was pretty profound. Maybe in a way that was deeper in that suffering than you've ever felt it before. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I think is probably true for a lot of us is that sometimes since that experience of pain, you have been able to offer care and comfort to somebody else who's going, through, who's going now through something that very similar to what you went through before. I know that's true for many of you. I see you shaking your heads. I know that's true for myself. I can't even recount how many times I've seen this cycle. The wife whose husband abandoned her and now she's coming alongside other women in that same situation. Uh, the man who walked through the hell of cancer and is now walking through it with others. Um, the couple who had a child with a serious disability now offering counsel to young couples shell-shocked by the news of their own infant's condition. Um, there are so many stories like this. You probably have one yourself. And you could call this the, the cycle of comfort. The cycle of comfort. That we receive the comfort of God so that we can then give it off to other people who need it. This is where Paul begins this letter. And it is our first lesson in power and weakness. And you could say it like this, that your suffering is a doorway to the comfort of God, which in turn makes you a doorway to comfort for others. Your suffering is a doorway to the comfort of God, which in turn makes you a doorway to the comfort of others. That's a cycle of comfort. So let's look at that cycle. We'll, just in, we'll look at both sides of it. So first, receiving the comfort of God for yourself and your suffering, and then offering the comfort of God for the suffering of others. So first, receiving the comfort of God. Paul uh, begins this letter with a lot of talk on suffering. And let me just say this. Um, you might not feel like talking about suffering this morning. It's really beautiful out. It's spring. But this is one of the challenges of studying the word of God is you have to go where the word of God goes, okay? So, so this is where the word of God is going this morning, so that's where we're going, okay? So Paul begins with suffering. In fact, he's, he's really meditating heavy on it. He mentions suffering or trouble 17 times in five verses. Uh, he assumes that the Christian life includes suffering and affliction. The word he uses for suffering is uh, that great Greek word, flipsis. A lot of consonants there. <laughs> it's the same word that Jesus uses in John 16, 33, when he says, friends, here's my promise. In this world, you will have flipsis. <laughs> you will have trial. It's the same word that we looked at in Revelation that John uses for the word tribulation, flipsis. It's one of the great realities uh, that we live with on this side of the new creation before the coming of Jesus, that we, our lives are filled with affliction and trouble and pain. Now, this was certainly... Paul's reality, and he assumes that it will be the reality for every person who dares to follow Jesus. Now, the problem with the Corinthians was is that they didn't want to believe this. They rejected this idea. Everything in the Corinthian culture uh, was about glory and honor and power and security. It was about finding the upward path to success and fame and celebrity I'm sure that, you know, Corinthian Idol was the most popular TV show um, on, 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 uh, at the time. Suffering, in contrast, was viewed as a curse. It was, you know, someone was struggling with pain or was in a difficult situation. 
In the ancient world, that was often seen as a sign of divine displeasure, that something was wrong with that person. So this was the view in Corinth, and the Corinthian Christians had just bought into this view, hook, line, and sinker. Um, and so they believed, if God is with you, you will be blessed, you will be happy, you will prosper, you will be wealthy, uh, you will have no problems, and if you're suffering, then clearly something is wrong. And that's why the Corinthians had such great suspicion towards Paul, because unlike the very successful and wealthy religious leaders of Corinth, Paul was poor, he was often homeless, he was constantly getting the snot kicked out of him. Uh, he seemed to have an inordinate amount of suffering, and so they were all asking, how could this guy be anointed by God? How, how could God be with him? He doesn't seem blessed at all. Now, of course, this is a very live and contemporary problem for us today. Too often still, Christianity is held up as a way to avoid suffering. It pairs very well with sort of like this, you know, American dream idea that, you know, the more, you know, the more you follow God, the more successful and prosperous you will be. And then how that often translates it, you go, off, you go into a season in your own life where you feel really kicked around where you look at your life and everything is falling apart and one bad thing is happening after another. And it's inevitable that you begin to think, where is God? God must not be with me. God is holding me in his disfavor. He must be mad at me. Or maybe he's not there at all because all this stuff wouldn't be happening to me if God were really here. So what would Paul say to this? Well, what he says here in this chapter is that to be connected to Jesus means you're not going to like this. To be connected to Jesus means to be connected to his suffering. In fact, he says here in verse 5, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I like sharing with Jesus. I like sharing his glory. I like sharing his power. I like sharing his resurrected life. But I do not want his suffering. Jesus, I don't want that. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want you to share that with me, Jesus. And yet Paul is very clear on that. In fact, at one point he calls Christians the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. <laughs> Philippians 4, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Now this is more than just suffering through Richmond's pollen season, um, although that's, that's, that's pretty rough, as I can know personally this week. Um, but to share in Christ's suffering means to live in solidarity with Jesus. It means to be willing to go the way of the cross with him, to feel what he felt, to groan where he groans, uh, to bear pain for other people, to willingly die to selfishness and sin. Uh, sometimes it means to face misunderstanding and hostility or even persecution the way that Jesus did. It means to give your life away in obedience to God and to surrender to God, even when it's painful, like Jesus did for us. This, this fellowship of sharing with the suffering of Jesus, Paul assumes, is what the Christian life is all about. This is unfamiliar to us, but most Christians in the world, most Christians in history, know this is true. Ask the Christians in China and Syria and Iraq and Egypt and Pakistan. Ask them today if they share in the fellowship of the suffering of Christ, and they will say there is no other way that we know. This is part of what it means to be the people of God. Now, some of you may be wondering, why would anyone want to be a Christian? Good question. 
<laughs> Here's why. The experience of suffering, this is so crazy, y'all. This is so unlike any message we ever hear. The experience of suffering opens the way to the comfort, power, and grace of God. Just as Paul assumes that the Christian life is one of suffering, he also assumes that in the midst of our suffering, there will be tremendous encouragement, comfort, and joy. So he goes on in this verse, chapter one, verse five. He says, just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. When we experience affliction, it opens the door to God's comfort to come overflowing into our lives. Paul calls God, in verse three, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. Unlike the Greek and Roman gods who were totally indifferent to the pain of humans, Jesus reveals a God who is deeply compassionate for his people in affliction. Did you hear that song that Brooke just sang? It said, um, Jesus' scar-born hands. Did you know that Jesus is risen from the dead and in his glorified, resurrected body, he will forever bear the wounds and scars of his affliction as a forever commitment to you that he comes down to bear your affliction with you. That's the God of Jesus Christ. And when we suffer, Paul says, we're put in a special position to know the wounds of Jesus for us, to receive and experience the comfort and love and power of God that actually in our suffering, we get access, a doorway into the grace of God. Here's this, that is only accessible in pain. It is only accessible there. How does this happen? Well, Paul gives one example in verse eight. In verse eight, he talks about the terrible troubles that he and his colleagues face in Asia. I don't really know what he's referring to. Nobody really does. It might be when he got beat up real bad in Ephesus, Acts 19, you can read that. Paul says, he and his friends were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so terrible that, quote, we despaired of life itself. This is like, this, this is before the modern psychology, but he is speaking in serious psychological terms here. I mean, the picture is like of a ship being weighted down with ballast that is so heavy, the ship is going under. It's being crushed under the weight. He, he says, uh, one translator says, we were so beyond our limits of anything we could handle, we were ready to give up on life, ready to die. Have you, have you ever felt that way? I know this, some of you have. To be honest, I felt that way a couple times where you feel so burdened and trapped you don't see any way out but death. Some of you know what it's like to feel that. It's a terrible place of darkness. Truly terrible. And yet Paul says, verse nine, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Paul says in that place of darkness, he experienced resurrection. He found himself trusting in God like he had never trusted him before. And he found that God's love was more real to him than it had ever been before. And that God's power became more tangible to him than it had ever been before. And now 
it was so powerful that he actually sees that time as a blessing rather than the horrible curse that it was. Some of you I know have gone through things you could say the same thing. Sarah and I were just hanging out with one of our dear friends from college who lost her husband to cancer a few years ago, left her as a single mom with three kids. And we were just hanging out with her in the backyard a couple weeks ago. And she said, you know, that was the most horrible experience of my life and I would never want to go through it again. But I tasted in that time a sweetness and intimacy with the Lord and a deep trust in him that I will treasure that time as one of the most precious moments of my entire life. Who could say that? Only someone who knows this secret of death and resurrection, right? Your suffering is a doorway to God's comfort and grace. C.S. Lewis says, nothing will be resurrected that has not first died. Only at the very bottom, only when you have to go to the very end of yourself, only when you're like at a place of helplessness, can you find yourself being swept and carried up in resurrection because God's power is made known to you. So I want you to think, again, not fun, but one painful or difficult thing happening in your life right now that you wish would go away. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a thing at work. Maybe it's something you're dealing with in your mental health. What, just think of something in your life right now that you wish would go away. What if instead of seeing it as a barrier to a happy life, you saw it as a doorway to God's grace. What if you changed your perspective? A gateway to experience the comfort and power of God that you can only know by going through this terrible experience. What if you saw it as a gateway to grace? Wouldn't that change your, your perspective? Wouldn't that change your attitude? That's the first part of the comfort exchange that just as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we receive through Christ the abundant comfort of God. The second part of the cycle is not receiving it, but then offering, offering the comfort of God in the suffering of others. Paul says that just as our suffering becomes a doorway for God's grace to flow, then we become a doorway for God's grace to flow through us. He says in verse 4, God's comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Imagine, kids, those of you at home, and there's a couple of you in here, imagine you're holding uh, an empty bowl and it represents, I don't know, some empty place in your life. And uh, how's it going to get filled? Well, you you come across a friend whose bowl is full. And they take their bowl and they pour some of it into yours. And then your bowl is full. And you've experienced fullness in your emptiness. And then as you walk along, oh, look, I'm running to Brooke and she's got an empty bowl. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. That's very good pantomime. <laughs> and uh, so, so what's Brooke going to do? Well, look, my bowl's full. So I'm just going to pour some of mine into hers. This is, it's very simple, but this is what Paul is saying, is that the comfort we've received in our suffering, we're then able to offer to our brothers and sisters. The gifts that God gives us in our trials are never just for you. They're never just for you. They're always for those around you who, who are in need. I love this story. Some of you know it well. The story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, Johnny was 
a very popular athletic teenager. She rode horses. She was a swimmer. But when she was 17 years old, she became a quadriplegic in a diving accident. And immediately she went from being this incredibly athletic and alive young woman to being in a full body medical frame in a wheelchair, totally helpless from the neck down. She went into deep depression. She even begged her um, best friend to help her kill herself many times. Uh, she wanted to die every single day. But God met her in the pit. I'm not sure how. Uh, it was, she was forced to trust God. She, she, she had amazing friends. She had amazing mentors. And she slowly began to let go of her bitterness and let go of her past. And very slowly, instead of seeing her wheelchair as a curse, she began to see it as a doorway for God's grace in her life. She actually, in her memoir, calls her wheelchair an instrument of joy. Instrument of joy. Then something amazing happened. The comfort God gave her began to spill out to others. She began to see that she had this calling to help draw the church into friendship with disabled people. Frankly, people that the church has not served very well. Uh, and she saw as her friends embraced her in her suffering, it was her call to embrace others in their suffering. And eventually she founded Joni and Friends, a global organization that every year ministers to thousands and thousands of people affected by disability. Her suffering has become an abundant overflow of resurrection grace for others. And so what is happening here is exactly what Paul describes. Call it the comfort cycle. Paul Miller calls this the cascade of love. The little, um, little image here that comes from him. Um, if you could turn to that slide. There, so, so you see the, the, just as Joni shares the suffering with Jesus and is comforted by his grace, so the cascade of God's grace then spills out of her life, flowing out for the ministry and the comfort for thousands and thousands of others. And again, I want to ask you, what if you saw your suffering in this way? Not just as a doorway to grace in your own life, uh, but also a gift that you might become a doorway of grace for others. Many of you have experienced this. I've shared with you before about my own and my own family's pretty deep struggle with depression and mental illness, one that I have known intimately. And, um, I, and, I, and I, would, I, don't want, I don't want that. I hope my children, I pray actually a lot that my children don't have the same battles that I've had. And yet, this has helped me to be able to offer the same hope to others who are struggling with mental illness in the same way that, frankly, could only be possible through this affliction. Often, the most helpful thing we bring to others is our wounds. Wounded people make the best healers. Did you know that? Wounded people make the best healers. I am a better healer, not in spite of my wounds, but because of them, and so are you. So the comfort God gives is never just for ourselves. It is given for overflow into the lives of others. So what we end up here is this very powerful dynamic that connects us with Jesus, with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember the, the J-curve I taught you a few years ago? Some of you remember that. Um, the J-curve is like this. So first of all, Jesus is a J-curve. Jesus died. He went down into death, and it is only because of his death that we know resurrection life, right? Jesus died. Jesus rose. And what happens when you become a Christian is you're connected to Jesus. So you die with Jesus, you go down into death with him, 
and then you rise with him. And this works in everyday life, right? The more uh, you, you come to the end of yourself through suffering, the more you die to your own sin and selfishness, and the more you look to God as hope, he brings you out into hope and comfort and resurrection. And one day, actually, this will literally happen to you. You will literally die. And yet God will raise you through Christ into a new resurrected body through your connection to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But then this also works in our ministry to others. And so we suffer. We experience God's comfort. And then look what happens. As we receive comfort, then our suffering is for the sake of the comfort of others. So our whole life becomes a J-curve. And what this means is that for the believer, suffering is never meaningless. It always has a purpose. It is a doorway to the comfort of God and enables us to be a doorway of comfort for others. The more we share in Christ's suffering, the more comfort we get and the more comfort we have, the more useful we become for others. Y'all, only God could do this. Only God. Only the gospel could make something like this. So let me just close with these two application questions for you. First of all, are you close enough to God to know his comfort? You know, you can only share what you've received. Just like on the plane where they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can give it to anybody else, you can, you can only share the comfort and grace of God if you have deeply and intimately experienced his comfort and grace and your own belovedness in Christ. You've you got to know that yourself. Do you know that? Are you close enough to God to know his profound love for you? his suffering grace for you? Or is God just kind of a concept to you? Is God just like this religious idea? Or is he, is, do you know that you are his beloved? Have you tasted that? Have you tasted his profound love and grace for you? If you haven't, you can. God's love for you is, is accessible right now through Jesus and by the spirit. Ask me about it. Ask a pastor, ask a friend. God wants you, he's he's knocking. He wants you to open the door to him, surrender to him. And if you know him, keep walking with him. This is what the spiritual practices are for. Keep showing up in prayer. Keep meditating on the scriptures. Keep showing up in worship. Our suffering and pain is a door into grace, but you gotta walk through the door with him. You gotta live your life with God. Are you doing that? So are you close enough to God to know his comfort? And the second thing I would ask is are you close enough to others to know their pain? and to offer comfort. The Christian life is a communal life. It is a life with others. Uh, and I don't mean just the people in your immediate family. I mean the brothers and sisters in the community, right? Being deep in one another's lives that we know each other's pain and extend the comfort that we've received. Is this the kind of Christian life that you are living? Um, are you a person who knows others and is known by others? That takes a lot of risk. You know that? It takes a lot of risk. It takes risk, first of all, to be known. Y'all, let's just stop this stupid, uh, stupid game. Like Kim said earlier, the stupid game of like just pretending like we're beautiful and put together. Nobody is. We're all a bunch of messes, y'all. So stop pretending like you aren't. Seriously. Stop pretending like you aren't. And, and be, take the risk to, to name your struggle and your pain and your sorrow. We have the freedom to do that because of the gospel. So, so take the risk to be known and then take the risk to know, to actually be willing to hear the pain and the sorrow of others. And that's really risky because it, 
it means that your life gets messier too. <laughs> um, I, you know, I really do think this is, a, this, is a, this is a way the Christian church can be radically different in this time of great polarization in our country, is if we actually bear, seek to listen and bear each other's pain. I, you know, I had the weirdest week on one day. On, the, on one day, I listened to a friend who was crying out in anger and sadness and sorrow over the death of um, Marcus Wright in Minneapolis because it was triggering for her all of the pain of being black in America. And on the same day, I talked to a friend who's engaged to a police officer, and she was crying out in pain and sorrow for her fiance uh, and what he was struggling with and all of the misunderstanding and confusion he felt about being a cop in America. And I, I really do think that one of the calls of the believer is to stop letting the culture shunt us into categories, whether I'm for this group or for that group, and instead see each other as humans who bear the stories of sorrow in a broken world, and to hear and listen to each other out of the heart of the compassion of Jesus. And this is what will make us into a community of love in which that cascading river of love is flowing among us. So friends, the vision of the Christian life that Paul holds up for us isn't one of moving upward to prestige and power and success. It is one of receiving comfort and offering comfort, of giving encouragement, offering encouragement, right in the midst of our suffering. And here's what that means. The Christian life is more sad and more happy than any other kind of life all at once. <laughs> we share in the sufferings of Jesus. We share in each other's sufferings. We don't run from pain. We don't avoid it. We don't numb it but we know God's grace within it, and yet in the place of suffering, we find more comfort and grace and hope and love than anyone ever thought imaginable. And what that makes is, if you were really living this kind of way, you would be, what an emotionally healthy, well-balanced person you would be. You know, the Christian life is not an either-or life. We're not superficially happy because we're running from the pain in the world, nor are we hopelessly sad, trapped in the unspeakable brokenness of the world, we are not either happy or sad, either sorrowful or joyful. We are joy in sorrow. We know life in death. We know power in weakness. That is the power of pattern of Jesus, the pattern of Easter. In all our crucifixions, there is always resurrection. In all of our sorrow, there's always joy. Because everything is moving. Everything's moving up. Everything's moving to resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what an amazing thing the gospel is. That this death and resurrection of Jesus is not just like our ticket to heaven. It is the secret to life. The secret to a good and flourishing life. Help us to be those who walk with you in our sorrow and who offer the comfort that we receive in our sorrow to others. We pray you would do this in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.